Well, good morning, Wallace. It's good to be here with you this morning. Um, if you are new, too, just make note, there's about 100 people that are absent because they're at Camp Hemlock uh, for the youth retreat. So um, pray for them. They still got today and tomorrow. I was up there in 2007 and thought I broke my ankle, so pray for safety. Uh, thankfully, I was just, it was just a very bad sprain, but uh, this morning we're going to look at uh, Psalm 103, so if you have your Bibles, or you can look up there. We're going to look at this wonderful psalm that David is calling our hearts to praise because of the goodness of the gospel. And the old Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, he said that this psalm was as the highest Alps of all the psalms. He said, uh, there is too much in this 103rd psalm for a thousand pens to write. It is one of those all-comprehending scriptures, which is a Bible in itself, and it might alone suffice for the hymn book of the church. Charles Spurgeon said that. Why? Because as, as we read this, you'll see the richness of God's grace for broken people. God's grace for people that are struggling, for sinners, and how Jesus brings his grace to us. So let me pray, and then we'll read Psalm 103. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time to worship you, to remember who you are, and also to remember who we are as your people, as your children. Lord, send your spirit. Help us today as we look at this psalm. We pray that you would meet us where we need to be met, whether there's anxieties, there's bad news, there's uh, rejoicing, wherever we are, Lord, that we would look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord, of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord 
is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Sends the reading of God's holy word. So this past summer, uh, we took about 20 students or so, some Maryland, some UMBC students, to the Oriole game in Camden Yards. And uh, those that know me know that I love the Orioles, I love baseball. And uh, I've always had a dream to get a foul ball, to get any kind of ball. I've been to scores of games and have never gotten a baseball at a game. Well, it happened this July. I was on the flag court of Camden Yards and a foul ball was hit down the line in the ninth inning and it this is crazy I'm 60 feet from the foul line on the flag court and I never bring a baseball glove to a game but a student had left a baseball glove in my car so I said I'm going to bring my baseball glove this time and the ball dribbled out foul ball dribbled out along the fence literally right below me Ryan McKenna, the right fielder, came over. I said, Ryan, throw it up to me. And sure enough, he tossed it up, and there it was. I had it. <laughs> I was just, I, I just stood there. I just stood there in exuberance. It was a foul ball. Not a home run. But I was so excited. People were taking pictures of me. We were posting on Instagram. And uh, I was just exuberant about this. Now, friends, I'm talking about a foul ball at a baseball game. There's scores of them that people get every game. And, uh, and so what a little thing to get excited about. But this psalm here is about ultimate things. It's about praising and worshiping God because of who he is, because he is the king of the universe, because we, we, we owe everything to him our lives, our salvation, everything about you is from his hand. And so the question for us is, you know, why do we struggle with praise? Why do we struggle with worship? Why isn't that just a natural outpouring of our hearts? And you know, what Luther said, uh, Martin Luther said, we all have the inward bent. That, that we are all self-motivated, that we just, instead of praising God who created us, we want to praise ourselves. We want to look inside. And we don't really want to acknowledge this God who created us because of our sin. We want to just build ourselves up. And so, like Romans 1 says, we exchange the truth of God or a lie, and we worship the creation. We worship all kinds of things. We praise all kinds of things. And often we forget to praise the one who gave us all those things, the Lord. And so this psalm, to some extent, is a litmus test to help us 
worship, to help us praise the Lord, to jumpstart our hearts. You know, why are we here this morning? Well, ultimately, it's we need each other to jumpstart our hearts. We need the fellowship of the saints. We need to come into this room, and maybe we're feeling down, but other people are excited, and that encourages us. Maybe we, we're, we're so broken today, we, we can't even pray, or we can't even praise, but we can listen and sit in this room and ask God to, to help us. Scotty Smith, a former pastor at Christ Community Church in Franklin, said that worship is remembering the redemption and responding. Worship is remembering the redemption and responding, and Psalm 103 helps us with that. And so uh, what we're going to do here is look at three things. Why worship is the big question. Because of his personal grace to us, because of his covenant love in history, and because of his covenant keeper. So the first thing is, why should we worship? Why, why even praise the Lord? Why do what we're doing here this morning? And that first thing is because of God's personal grace to us. And as you look at this psalm, David begins with calling his heart to bless the Lord. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. David, David stirs up his heart personally because he's thinking about how God has forgiven him of his sin. Look at the many verses in this psalm that deal with sin. We'll talk about definition of that in a second. But verse 3, who forgives all your iniquities? 4, who redeems your life from the pit? 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. Twelve, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions or sins from us. Think about David. He's one of the, probably the heroes of the Bible, right? He's the one that wrote this psalm and most of the psalms we have. And yet he was also known for his great sin of adultery with Bathsheba, coveting another man's wife, taking her, abuse of power, coveting, and then trying to cover it up by bringing Uriah back from the front lines to be with his wife. Or remember, he was so honorable, he just slept on the floor of the, of the, uh, the right, right at his palace. He didn't go back to his wife. And then David had to think again and say, well, I'm going to send your basic, your death order with you back to the front lines. And he has uh, Joab place Uriah in the front lines and the troops draw back and he is killed. Adultery, stealing, cover-up, lying, deception. David knew these things. And you remember from Psalm 51 when Nathan came and convicted him of his sin, he repented, and it says that the Lord forgave his sin. David understood his sin. The marks of a true worshiper means you understand that you're broken and separated from God. 
but it also means that you understand God's grace into that brokenness. And David certainly understood that forgiveness. Verses 10 and 11, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. David, in the pit of despair, his sin. What is sin? I think it's always important to think about that definition, especially speaking with students. You know, we think of sin as the Bible talks about its breaking of God's commandments. There's other wider definitions of that. It's not loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's not loving your neighbor as yourself. It's not just breaking the commandments, not, you know, but it's, it's the fact that we don't positively, positively do the commandments. It's, it's not, you know, it's not just don't do these things and just like be by yourself. It's we are called to love God. We're called to love people. And then when we look at our lives, we see, man, how selfish we are and how we just want to do what we want to do. And we don't really care about the rest of the world or the neighborhood or the roommate beside us. And we just, we're just in our space. And the Bible is saying that, that that is sin, that selfishness is sin. The inward bent that Martin Luther talks about, just bringing everything to ourselves. And so when David realizes that, and then he knows the forgiveness of God in the midst of that, it is a release of, now I can praise, now I can worship, now I can bless the Lord. But as you look at this psalm too, it's, it's kind of not just the spiritual state of his sin, but it's his whole life that David is thanking the Lord for. That God is not just a God separating some spiritual things, but he is the Lord of life. And it says here in verses 4 and 5 that, that God is the one who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Verse 3, he heals all our diseases. And so David's, David's testimony is that God took him, this is like the big picture of his life, as a shepherd boy, the youngest, out there with the sheep, and he took him from that position, as you know the story, if you know Samuel, to the front lines and he is God's representative that defeats Goliath. And then he ultimately is anointed and he becomes the king of Israel. He is crowned with steadfast love. God is holistic. God was walked with David his whole life. Even in that sin, he did not let him go. We believe that David was saved. He was God's person before the whole uh, Bathsheba incident. And, and God, because of that salvation, brought him to repentance and faith. And so this is, this is the kind of holistic big picture we have in this psalm. It's not just God is like dealing with my sin, but he's dealing with your entire life, everything about who you are. And those are reasons to worship and to bless him and to praise him. 
The second thing is we see why worship is because of God's covenant love in history. Verses 6 to 8, look at that. He, David immediately thinks about Moses. He made known his ways to Moses. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now, it's interesting that that idea of God, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You've you're familiar with the Old Testament, you've probably heard that phrase before, and that comes out of Exodus 34, where God had revealed his character and who he was to Moses there on Mount Sinai. And this was after Israel had rejected and worshiped the golden calf when Moses was away. Moses is sent back to Sinai, and God reveals his character and his presence to himself. And, and it says in 34, 6, and 7, when the Lord passed by Moses, he's, it's, he says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty. David is remembering the history of God's revelation, of God's work in Israel. He's remembering Moses even, another hero of the Bible who committed great sin himself. And if you remember even the, just thinking about the history of Israel, right? They were a oppressed people in bondage in Egypt. And some 430 years or so after Joseph, right? There was a new Pharaoh, and the people of Israel were put in bondage. And then the Lord heard their cry, if you look at Exodus, and he raised up Moses. And then Moses gets God's call out in the desert and comes back and is used by the Lord to rescue and to really be the interceder, the redeemer of Israel out of Egypt. He's the mediator. And so the reason why I think this is important to us is because oftentimes when we're going through trials and hard times or we get bad news, we, we tend to think, well, where is God? I have no reason to praise God now because of this news. And what David is showing us is we have to go back and remember how God worked in the past. Many, many of the Psalms are about this, remembering back. Because oftentimes in the moment when the pain is hard and when the bad news is, is real, we, we fail to give praise. And so David is, is encouraging his heart to look back, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Go back to what God has done in your past, 
how God has rescued you and revealed Jesus to you. Go back and see his redemptive history in the Bible. You might not feel it, but this is how we renew our hearts and warm our hearts up to worship again and again. For students, for young people, um, what I love about this psalm is that it helps us know that we have a God who's acted in history. It, this is, this, what we're doing today is not a fable. It's not a legend or a myth. But the Bible is the testimony of God's true revelation in history. And David is going back and remembering that history of who this God was and how he's revealed himself to Israel. Francis Schaeffer wrote that God is not silent. You know, he is broken in to a real world in real time and real space. And so when you doubt the reality of God, you got to remember this. That this is a book about a history of a people where God has revealed himself time and time again. That's how much God loves us and desires to make himself known. And how does God reveal himself? Let me just emphasize this again. Especially in this psalm, he is showing his covenant love. Um, there is a word here. I'm not the Hebrew scholar. He's over here. But hesed, and you've probably heard that word, but that is that Hebrew word that indicates God's faithful, covenantal, never giving up, calling us to himself, love, that is all over the Old Testament. And that's what we see here. It's, it's, it's used at least four times. Verse 4, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. That's the Hesed. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, bounding in steadfast love. Uh, verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Um, 17, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting. How does God deal with his people, his covenantal promised people that he loves? He deals with us with this hesed, faithful, never giving up on you, always there kind of love. That's something that you can get excited about. That's something that in, in your worst and broken times, you know, they're like, no, he's never going to give up. It is unconditional. And we need that, right? Because we are frail. The, the passage in verse 15, 6, 16, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it is gone. I have these beautiful lilies right by my front steps. They're beautiful for two days. They pop up, and then the deer in University Park come in and eat all these, these beautiful lily flowers. And literally, it's like you took scissors out there and just snapped off every one of them. You probably have had that. But I mean, that's, that's how frail our lives are. This passage is saying, no, we need something deep. We need an everlasting God who loves us because we're only here for a short time. This is momentary. It seems forever. When you work with college students, it seems like you're going to live forever. But then there's trials, and there's disease, and there's accidents. 
and this is the day of salvation. This is the day to say, I want that covenant love. I want that love that never lets me go. And that's, that's really the last thing here, that we worship because God has ultimately brought about a covenant keeper, the Lord Jesus Christ. We might ask, how can God be so loving and gracious to a broken, rebellious people like David was, and like we are, and like Israel was, and like Moses was? How can he not treat us as our sins deserve? Well, the passage has attention to it, just like the Bible, the Old Testament does. It says that the Lord's steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Okay, that sounds like, okay, if we do the commandments, then we're going to get the love. That's the tension that we feel in the Bible. That's the tension, right? The problem is, is we cannot keep the covenant. We cannot keep God's law perfectly in thought, word, and deed. The scriptures clearly say, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The wages of sin is death. We're called to this standard, and yet we cannot keep it. We're called to worship and praise God, and yet we worship money, sex, power, ESPN, the Maryland Terrapins, whatever. A hundred different things. A thousand different things. And so, is there any hope in the psalm? Yes, there is. Because as we pull back and look at the big picture of the Bible, we see that the tension is fulfilled in the covenant keeper, the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who came healing diseases, the lame, the blind, the sick. He is the one who forgives iniquity. He deals once with our sin on the tree, taking in himself all of our sins in his body, undergoing the justice of God on the cross, being separated from his love, so that we might receive that forgiveness and know that covenant love in him. We have a covenant keeper. A psalm does not say Jesus Christ in it, but he is the Hesed of God. He is the faithful, he is the steadfast love in reality. When Jesus came, he said, I am. He took the covenant Lord's name upon himself because he is the Lord. He said to his disciples, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the one who was there with Moses back in Exodus 34. He is the one that convicted David of his sin and also showed him his grace. And so this is the perfect love. The perfect Hesed is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who's gone before you. He is the one who has died for you, rose for you, is ascended to heaven and is coming back one day to receive all those who believe in him. And so this is a call for all of us to know this covenant God, this 
Hesed, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so do you have that hope? Do you have that hope in you? That is what gives us excitement to bless the Lord and to praise God. This word bless has the idea of kneeling. Kneeling before God. Giving everything to him. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, as you kneel before God. And it's interesting, in Philippians, it, it talks about how uh, the Lord Jesus um, is the one who every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because of what he has done, because of his goodness and his grace to us. And so, do you have that? That is really the only ultimate reason for worship and for praise. Because of he, who he is and what he has done. And it, I love the end of this psalm because the result of, of uh, David filling his heart with who God is and his character and his love, the end of it is evangelistic. Look at this. In 20, 20 to 22, he says, Bless the Lord, O, o you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This psalm has a cosmic ending that because of the love you have and the praise and what God has done, it calls us to cry out to the rest of the world, like, praise this Lord. This is an amazing God that we serve. When I was a youth pastor in uh, Oklahoma, I lived three, about <laughs> 200 feet from the back of a major high school in Edmond, Oklahoma. And uh, in the summertime, they would have uh, uh, band practice, okay? So right, right in, like, in the parking lot there beside my house. And what they did was they, they would practice the fight songs time and time again. And I think they used the Wisconsin fight song. Um, and, 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 but I just remember, you know, when I'd go to the football games, they, they'd be playing that fight song. Every time there was a fumble, every time there was a good pass, every time there was a touchdown, fight song, fight song. What were they doing? They were encouraging the entire student body to bless the team, right? To like, like get excited about this, like what's going on here? This psalm, to some extent, is like a, is, is a, is a psalm of praise to fire us up, to fire our hearts up so that we bless the Lord in every aspect of our life. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are a God who has revealed yourself, your character of Hesed, this covenant love you have for a sinful people, and how you have shown us that covenant love in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and died and rose and is coming back. Lord, would you warm our hearts again today and every day with your love that we might be a people who worship here and also with our lives as we go to work, as we go to school, as we engage in friendships, in every area that we would be a people who worship you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.